This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the U.S. and Canada. everyone, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. My name is Chelsea Regan, and today I have with me Saul. Hello. And Brigitte. Hi. And we are bringing you guys the next installment of our book club. We are very, very excited to continue to read books together and with all of you and get to share our thoughts and hopefully hear what you guys thought about them, too. So this month's book club was Legend Born by Tracy Dion, a wonderful book and a huge hit. Lots of people have loved it. It's been on a bunch of lists, and we are very excited to get to it. So just to give you a little bit of context, the story of Legend Born is about a girl named Bree, who, after her mother dies in an accident, joins a residential program for bright high schoolers at UNC Chapel Hill. It seems like the perfect escape from her life until she witnesses a magical attack on her first night on campus. She meets a mysterious teenage mage who calls himself a Merlin and attempts and fails to wipe Bree's memory of everything she saw. This leads Bree into the unique underground secret society of kids at this college who are all descendants of the Knight of King Arthur. She finds out that there is potentially a war on the way, and she has to figure out how she fits in and what, if anything, she can do and how she wants to be involved. I'm just so excited to get to speak about it. So let's get started. So, Saul, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Legendborn, and what rating would you give it on a scale from one to five stars? Okay, I have to say, I finished reading the book about 15 minutes before we hopped onto the call, so it's very fresh in my mind, and I'm still trying to, like, get all of my thoughts in order about it, but that said, I can definitely say that I thoroughly enjoyed this book. (laughs) If I could give a little confession, I generally try to stay away from King Arthur stories, because I feel like It's a lot of the same thing over and over again. And I knew that going into this, that this was going to tie into King Arthur. So I was a little worried about that, but everybody said it was really good. And having now read it, I loved it. And I'm completely blown away by how how well she integrated that in with modern issues and past issues of American history. I guess modern, because actually a lot of the stuff that is addressed in this book is kind of having a national spotlight moment right now in the United States in terms of education. But anyway, I thought it was great. Somewhere on a five-star scale, I would probably be between 4.5 and 5. I would give it a really high rating. I thought it was fantastic. 
I totally agree. I think there's such an excellent mix of both modern issues and history in this book that make it really timeless. But also, it's not your typical King Arthur story. And it's really specifically not your typical King Arthur story. And I think that's one of my favorite things about it, because I do feel the same way that sometimes King Arthur stories can get very one note. And this brings in so many new things that I really enjoyed. So, Brigitte, how about you? What did you think about Legendborn? Unlike the two of you, I did not read the blurb before going into it, so I had no idea it was King Arthur. But I do love King Arthur and anything medieval, knighty, so I was pleasantly surprised. And I was even more surprised by how she used the legend. Like Saul said, it's a completely new take. And like you said, Chelsea, usually it's just the same thing over and over again, especially in young adults. I did think that I knew where the story was going, especially in the King Arthur thing, because there's always the, the kind of Morgana, Morgane, whatever, antagonist. But no, she surprised me with every turn. I was delighted. I gave this book five stars. Yeah, in case it's not clear at this point, I also gave this book five stars. And I 100% agree with what you're saying, too, that I thought, because I've read so much YA, I thought I knew where this book was going. Even towards the middle, I think I thought I knew where this book was going. You got to read to that last page because so much happens in all of the best ways. But I'm so glad that you both enjoyed it, and I think it's fair to say that we all would recommend this book. So if you have not read it, please run out and go grab it right now. I want to start by explaining a little bit more about the mythology of this book, because I think that's really important. So just heads up to our listeners, if you are someone who likes to go in with minimal amount of information, we are going to start talking about things that you learn throughout the book. No huge spoilers, but enough information that maybe now would be a good time to turn it off and listen to the rest of it when you finish. But I really liked this idea of college-age kids inheriting power from their ancestor and then by the time you're out of college you no longer have that opportunity these kids who are all descendants of the 13 knights of king arthur could potentially be awoken by their ancestors and gain their powers their main goal is to fight demons and monsters that are coming in from other realms they have magicians who help them called merlin And there's this whole world that Brie kind of stumbles into. And so I was hoping we could start. What did you guys think about the mythology and did you have any takeaways? I loved how she blended aspects of African-American kind of practices and this really traditional, in YA at least, Arthurian legends. She even mentions it at the end of her acknowledgments. She explains both the Arthuriana and the rootcraft and everything. I really like that part, even though it's so short. And I felt that she really juxtaposed the two, especially in parts where you see the black uh, witches, yes, talk about the Arthurian aspect of magic. So it was really interesting to see how those two were juxtaposed, how they came together and how Brie handled it all. Yeah, absolutely. And we should say that the kids in this order have one type of magic that comes from ancestral blood. And Brie also learns that there's another type of magic that she and other members of the African-American community on her campus can participate in called root magic that comes more from nature. 
And the differences between these two and where they both come from historically and culturally, I thought was just done really, really well and explained very nicely. I will say at the beginning of this book, I think there's a bit of a learning curve to it. There were definitely moments as they were explaining. I was a little bit lost on, like, the structure of the order for maybe the first 100 pages, like, as they were explaining, well, these people are paired up and these people, like, are together, but they're not paired up. But we're having a contest for more people to be paired up together. I was like, not totally sure. So I would recommend if you're if you're at that point in the book, definitely keep going, keep reading, because it becomes a lot clearer. But I completely agree with you, Brigitte. I think the way that she combined those two and juxtaposed them was really, really smart and really took into account the legacy of a lot of elements of history that I think can be really hard to to combine together in one place. I feel like the fact that she was able to bring those two, what you would feel like are distant worlds together, just adds so much layers to the magic and the world building in this story. And that's what was really neat about it. And you talk about how there is a lot to learn. There's a steep learning curve. But in a lot of ways, as you're reading it, it feels like you're peeling back an onion because you're first introduced to the order and the idea of demons. And then you're introduced more to the specifics about how the order functions and its history. And then you go into sort of the racist history behind the order and all of that. And that's an extra layer. And then you start going into Bree's ancestors and their understanding of the world and their understanding of magic and their practice. And it's just like every time she introduces something new into this world, she's just peeling back a layer and going deeper and deeper. And it felt, I don't know, it felt, I don't know what the right word is. Is authentic the right word? Maybe partially too, because, and you see this a lot with high fantasy. This isn't a high fantasy novel, but you know, a fantasy where it's set in a separate world from our own. Part of the world building process for fantasy writers involves coming up with all those different cultures and stuff. But there is something like, even though this isn't a high fantasy and this is more set and rooted in our world, it felt more authentic, like the differences in the culture and the approaches and philosophies to the magic. And maybe that is because it's rooted in our world, because a lot of the thinking and the understanding and the approaches to the different types of magic, they're rooted in actual historical ideas and concepts. Just the way that she blended it felt natural and and real and the different viewpoints that you get on different concepts of borrowing versus stealing magic and all of that. It just, there's something about it all that rang true. There's a moment that Brigitte mentioned a little while ago where Brie becomes aware of the fact that her ancestors had magic as well. And in that moment where she first discovers that and that becomes clear to her, for me, that was like the big moment when I was reading the book. I was just like, oh, this is really interesting. This is something I really want to explore. And I'm really glad that Tracy Dion explores that and continues to peel back on the onion. Because ultimately, it's it's just a very layered mythology, a very layered world, a very layered magic system I thought was fantastic. I love what you said about the onion. I think that's exactly the way I would describe how this book is built in the best way. So you're like constantly given these payoffs. And I think even more than that, everything makes so much sense, but you didn't see any of it coming. Like the moment you learn something new, you have that like, of course that makes sense. But like, I never would have thought of that. And I think that's always the tell of a truly gifted fantasy author. I do want to transition a little bit towards character. And I think something else this book does really well is it is a book with a lot of mythology and with these great layers, but it is a really character-driven story. 
you keep reading and you keep pushing through because you care about Brie and you care about the people around her and because you genuinely want to see how all these things are going to come together. I was wondering if either one of you wanted to talk a little bit about what you thought about Brie or any of the supporting cast and how you thought Tracy Dion did with characterization in the story. I thought characterization was uh, really well done, especially when it came to Brie and her grief, essentially. We learned pretty early on that after her mother died, she kind of internalized the rage, the grief, the trauma, and she named that combination after Brie. And honestly, when you read through it, her actions don't necessarily make her a likable character, but they are not only understandable, they are something you'd expect from a 16-year-old who just lost their mother, and now she thinks that something's going on. The death might have not been an accident, kind of thing. So I really like seeing that, and I also like seeing her journey and how she recognized that same grief in others, like her father. Yeah, Brigitte, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. Like, there are multiple pillars that sustain this book as being fantastic. And so you've got the mythology, you've got the intertwining of history, and the other part of that is the grief and the emotional core of the book. And again, just to continue to add to the fact that this book is so layered, the way that that grief drives Brie, and it's not just her too, you, you see it in some of the other characters as well, like Cell and Nicholas, they're kind of dealing with their own forms of trauma and grief as well. Not the same as Brie, hers is different and unique from theirs, but still it's present in some form in, in those other characters and it motivates them to interact more with the world. And then there's a really strong moment later in the book too, where, where you see that with one of Bree's ancestors, sort of the trauma leads her to embrace sort of the magic and, and the way it intertwines with everything else is, <laughs> I, I'm shocked that this is a debut, actually, given the level of depth that is in this book. Just so well done. Definitely. And I will say, when I first read this book, I googled Tracy DeYoung, so I was like, what else has she written? I have to read all of her stuff. And I realized it was a debut, and I was like, how? Like, What? <laughs> How is that possible? But, you know, it's so easy sometimes to see fantasy, especially with YA, as escapism. And I'm not saying this book isn't, because this book definitely pulled me into a world. But it was a world that felt so real. And the reason it felt so real was because of how honestly and authentically it dealt with things like grief and trauma. There's no way to talk about this book without bringing those up. And through everything, they're always there in the way that grief and trauma are. That even in moments that are going well, there's still this shadow of what has happened and what that means. There's, as Brigitte was saying about this idea of the after Brie, this idea that those things change us and those things fundamentally change our lives and change who we are and change how we react to situations. And I think the way that that's, handled both on the human level in the human story, but also with the magic and with the fantasy elements is just a really interesting and thoughtful way of combining those two elements. I think there are moments in this book that are really difficult to read, but I think all of it is really important. And I am so glad I read it, even as it was kind of like tearing my heart out in, in equal measures, which is a difficult line for a book to walk, but I think this one did it perfectly. I also did want to mention Cell and Nicholas. I think in a lot of YA, they would be the 
romantic triangle situation. That's not exactly what's happening here. I think there's a lot more to these two guys. Cell is the Merlin who has magical powers and is tasked with protecting Nick, who is the heir to Arthur and therefore the potential future king should he be called to action. I mean, I love any time that there's antagonism plus romantic tension with anybody, and I think Cell and Brie have that down to a T. You do have a little bit of that stereotypical bad boy thing going on, but they both have something they need from the other, and that makes it so much more interesting. And then I think Nicholas is also just a really interesting leading man, because he's not... Neither one of them can hold a candle to Brie, which I actually kind of love. I love when the men in the story are kind of like a little more window dressing than you'd expect, because then it's like, haha, focusing on the lady. But I just thought these two guys were such interesting choices for the two parts that they play. And I was wondering what you guys thought of them as well. I really liked how respectful Nicholas was of Brie and her boundaries. I thought that was perhaps his biggest quality in a YA book with a 16-year-old protagonist. That's not something you see often. Honestly, it surprised me. He was a great character, but that was standout. <laughs> and uh, as for Sal, I thought his feelings towards Bree changed uh, maybe a little too fast because, I mean, the book takes place in, what, less than two weeks, which I only realized after finishing it and thinking about it. So it does keep up with the fast pace of the book, but I still think I would have liked to have seen it drawn out a little longer, but not many complaints. I really liked Sal's character more than Nicholas on the whole, though, I have to say. I, I kind of like the pushy bad boy type. <laughs> I think they're just more complicated. Yeah. They both kind of have, like, like, you understand where each of their angst comes from, but I do agree with you. I think... Any book that models appropriate boundary acceptance in romantic relationships gets an A in my book. You know what I mean? Like, if we can just do that, we're moving in the right direction. And that was my favorite part about Nicholas's character as well, that he just really did respect her. And I really enjoyed that. I see what you're saying about Cell changing his mind maybe a little too quickly. I just wanted them to be crime-fighting partners, so I was okay with it. I was like, <laughs> I want them in this together, so I'm okay. I wanted him to stop thinking he needed to kill her. I was like, you need to calm down here, buddy. It's fine. Move on with your life. So maybe that's why I was more okay with it. But I, I do hear what you're saying. If you guys caught on to the Twilight reference in the book, do you remember that? It kind of made me laugh a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brigitte? Yeah, I didn't catch it. But my cousin was next to me, and I, I remember I turned to her, and I said, I really like their banter, and I read out the passage. And then she says, wait, is that a Twilight reference? And I was like, oh, my, that completely flew over my head. There's just a point where Bree and Cell are starting to warm up to each other, and she has him carry her on his back. And he's like, is this like the movie? And then a couple lines later, he references not being a vampire, which I think is meant to be a reference to Twilight when Bella gets on Edward's back and they're running through the forest. I liked both of them a lot. It's hard for me to choose one over the other. I haven't looked too much into the fan base and the discussions around the book, but I imagine there are people trying to ship Brie with one or the other. There isn't a love triangle, but I almost kind of feel like she's pushing it a little bit toward a love triangle, and maybe that is something that she would explore in a second book. 
I, I thought they were both very interesting. I liked that they were both layered. Sometimes I read YA books and the, the male protagonist love interest kind of makes me cringe a little bit, but not with these two guys. Thoroughly enjoyed both of them. I think sometimes that's the best compliment to a YA love interest is like, you didn't make me cringe, so good job. <laughs> and maybe that's a little sad, but I also think it's kind of fair. It's probably a little cynical of me, but I did like them both. And I was, I mean, you kind of expect Cell, you can kind of see where his story's going to go, but I still found it pretty satisfying regardless. And there's something, I like dynamic characters and there's something about seeing the way he is in the beginning and then kind of looking at the final scenes where he's with Bree and suddenly he's, he's a completely different person in a lot of ways. So I, I really liked him a lot, but I also like Nicholas too. And I'm very curious to see what becomes of him. And Yeah, absolutely. So before we get to the big spoiler, there was one more element I wanted to bring up with you guys. It would be impossible to talk about this book without talking about the part that racism plays in the story. I know for me, this book brought a lot of empathy in ways I didn't expect it to, especially in the moments with some of the younger members of the Order, these privileged white kids, and the way they treated Brie in that they liked her and were her friend, but also just didn't understand what they were doing or why what they were doing was wrong or where the issues were, and sort of seeing them both condemn their parents' racism while also committing tons of microaggressions themselves and seeing that from sort of the outside perspective and seeing that from within Bree's head as well just made it so much clearer. I think for me, another piece that really stood out, and I read this book a little while ago and I still think about this scene. It's such a simple scene, but it's after she has a fight in the forest with a demon. She comes back to her dorm room and her best friend, who speaking of characters I love, her best friend is such a great character in that she like, doesn't put up with her nonsense, but also is, like, there for her in every moment. But she she comes back to her room with her best friend, and her best friend's like, oh, my God, what happened? And she's like, I have to wash my hair. And it's this moment where the best friend realizes that that's going to be a full process. And I just had this moment where I was like, that's not as a white reader. That's something I never would have thought of. And how many scenes have I read where – a female character gets in a fight outside and there's like a single line that's like, and then I took a shower and was in bed and like, that's it. And how many readers out there read that line and were like, well, that's not my experience at all. Like I could never be in that fight in the forest because I couldn't just take a shower and go to bed. And, and it was such, again, it was such a simple moment, but it was like so eye opening for me and such a, excellent example of why reading stories for who are different than me in every way is is just so important and yeah I just I really wanted to share that moment because it's again it's something months after I read this book I'm still actively thinking about which is I think is really powerful and I was wondering if you guys had any similar insights or moments that stood out to you in terms of the diversity presented in this book bouncing off what you said basically I like the fact that these processes that other people have to go through because of their hair, because of their skin, whatever was emphasized. Because not only did she have to wash her hair after the fight, there's also a moment where she really describes in more detail how she washes her hair to get ready for the gala. And it's framed in a context of her relaxing, making it not just something that is associated with a bad scene in the book, but something that 
she has to do and that she likes doing because it does relax her. It is part of her routine. I mean, it just comes back to she's writing from her own experience, Tracy Dion. So like that's something she would know to write and include all of those things in the book, probably because she's experienced it all on some level. That's one of those things that makes it authentic is, is the fact the author is coming from an authentic place. One of the things that stuck out to me, I guess you mentioned them, Chelsea, the microaggressions. I like that she didn't shy away from that. And in our Shadow and Bone episode, we talked a little bit about some of the criticisms that existed with the decision to make Alina an Asian-based character. One of the criticisms was that it felt like, and of course, I'm just trying to echo what I read. I'm not Asian myself. One of the criticisms seemed to be that they kind of just included these microaggressions into the story, just sort of dropped them in. They didn't necessarily add to the themes or the character. They just kind of felt like decoration almost, if you will, to kind of call out the fact she is a minority. Again, I'm speaking of Alina in the Shadow and Bone Netflix series. And this is a case here in Legendborn where you see these microaggressions and it does feel more authentic. These are things that Brie has had to put up with. You get the sense that like when she enters this world, and it is a very white world, this isn't the first time she's had to confront these sort of things. And for me, some of it reminded me of small microaggressions I've seen in my life, too, from people who who might have good intentions and who really aren't bad people. I mean, they're definitely bad racist characters in this story, but you have other people who, who want to be good and who want to be allies, but there's just some entrenchment or entanglement with some old traditions and thinking and ways and bias. And that rang true to me to see that here. And it was a little surprising as well to see it in a fantasy setting. See, when I think of King Arthur, I picture what you would expect with King Arthur, which is old medieval white knights and, and kings and everything. But I've never thought about how that would spread, right? And, you know, you look at that part of the world and it colonized <laughs> a massive portion of the world for a very long time. And, of course, they would take these traditions with them. And, of course, they would be interwoven into a, a systemic oppression. That was really interesting, I guess, to just see that even though it is fantasy and the society that Brie is interacting with is completely fictional, the customs and the traditions and the thinking those are things that actually exist in certain social circles in the world. And seeing how Brie is coming up against those, but also in many ways overcomes those. I mean, not completely, but given the big twist at the end of this book, she's going to have a whole new set of social issues that she's going to face in the sequel. But seeing her take that on, it just felt real. I think that's actually the perfect place. So I'm going to say if you are listening to our podcast and you have not finished Legendborn and you do not want to be spoiled, and trust me, you really, really don't want to be spoiled for this, please turn it off now and come back and listen when you've read the full thing. You will thank me for this. Hi, it's Saul from the future, and I'm just here to add to the spoiler warning you just heard Chelsea give. The plot point we're about to discuss has to do with sexual assault. We want to give you a heads up in case that's a discussion you'd prefer to listen to at another time or just avoid altogether. So, sorry for the interruption. Now that you know, I'm going to hop out and we'll continue with the episode. So, the genius of this story is that so much of why this white group of people 
feel that they are entitled to the power that they have is because of descendants and because of history. And in the last 50 pages or so, you learn it turns out that one of Nicholas's descendants was a slave owner and sexually assaulted one of his slaves, resulting in her having a child. And that child was a family member of Bree. And so Nick does not have the legacy he believed he did. Nick is, is not the heir to Arthur after all. Bree is. And when I say this twist blew me away, I think I literally screamed out loud, I think. I think it's brilliant in so many different ways, but I think one of the biggest ways you were just talking about, Saul, is that there's a problem that can be really hard to see with Chosen One stories about bloodline and legacy, is that white supremacy can be built into those things without it ever becoming clear, because it's just about, like, we had to have the right bloodline for the magic to pass. And this book shines this brilliant light throughout it about how nonsense that is in that the descendants of Arthur and these white characters are not the only ones who have magic in the first place. But the fact that Brie, the person who actually has the legacy that they've been celebrating in Nicholas this whole time, really points out how toxic this environment is because immediately upon learning that this has happened suddenly everything they're saying has changed because they don't want it to be her and they don't want this to be true and I found that to be such a brilliant way to point to all of these issues I also think it ties in I feel like well is not the right word but it ties in well in sort of an awful way to the power of trauma and not just personal trauma but generational trauma which is just as important and valid and that the things that have occurred to the people in your family and and the legacy that you carry does have an effect on you ultimately Brie has all of this power because of these horrible things that happened in her history and because of these atrocities that the people she's working with committed against her family it definitely doesn't untie anything, if anything. Like, you think you get to the center of the onion, as Saul was saying, and suddenly there's, like, 20 more layers, and you're like, what's happening now? I usually hate books with cliffhangers, but I was okay with this one. I just really want that next book. I need it to come out, like, tomorrow, if possible. But I want to pass it over to you guys and have you talk a little bit about what you thought about the ending and if you saw it coming. I'm curious. I didn't see the final plot twist coming. I thought... For the longest time, I thought that she was going to be like Mordred's line or Morgana's line because that's usually what happens. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I did uh, yell when it happened. I woke up my cousin, actually. <laughs> I hope I didn't spoil her too much because she now wants to read the book from my earlier descriptions of it. I thought it was very well done. I thought the plot twist does fit into the story, and I really liked how... It fits into the general history of the world that Tracy Dion has created and how it challenges everyone's perception of what Arthurian legend can be. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. And it's one of those twists that's like in retrospect. You're like, oh, I should have seen that coming. I think I thought a little bit along the lines of Brigitte. I was expecting some of her ancestry was going to be mixed in with some of the darker elements of the story. That's not what it is. <laughs> and it's just, it's great because it goes back to what you were saying, Chelsea, that it subverts the chosen one trope, which is so overdone. 
but also to see how people react when their expectation is subverted and when it benefits somebody who isn't like them. Because everybody is expecting, even before that twist happens, you know, even just the fact that Brie is chosen by Nicholas, there's a moment where everybody's really upset and angry, basically just being racist because he chose her over over anyone else. It just kind of shows you the unfortunate backlash that can occur sometimes when people feel like things that they're entitled to have been threatened, regardless of how ridiculous that sense of entitlement is. Tracy Dion obviously isn't the first to take something like fantasy and try to explore real-life social issues. A lot of authors try to do that, but she just she does it so well in Legendborn. And I think it's incredible how how she is taking things like birthright and bloodlines and kings and and Arthurian legend and all that, and she uses it as a vehicle to explore these real, honestly terrible emotions and ideas that exist in the world. On one hand, you love it because it's a fantastic twist from a storytelling perspective, but on the other hand, you're also horrified by it, the reality that it's rooted in. But ultimately, I think it's the sign of a great writer that she's able to use these elements to explore those ideas and those concepts, these difficult ideas and concepts that really everybody should take time to confront themselves with. Yeah, and I appreciate what you said, too, about the fact that, well, it is a, a great plot twist, the truth of it and the historical truth of it is horrifying. But something else I really appreciated was that a story about the effects of racism and trauma and the trauma of racism ended with Brie in a place of agency and power. And while it doesn't make up for or correct any of the things that happened to her or to her family members, the fact that in the end, she is the one in control of what happens next in a lot of ways, I thought was a really important end point for the story. I've said already multiple times here that I'm really impressed by the writing in this book. What she does here is you talked about like the racial trauma that Brie is kind of grappling with. But that's in addition to the trauma of losing a mother and having her entire life just completely shaken. What's incredible about Tracy Dion is that she's taking these different concepts of grief and trauma on a personal level, grief and trauma on an ancestral level, and grief and trauma on a societal level. It's the same idea of concept of grief, but it's being looked through three different lenses. And ultimately, Bree's grappling with all three of those is the solution to her own grief. Maybe that's not the right way to say it. I don't know, solution. It's not like you get to the end of the book and it ends on a cliffhanger too. So there's still issues, but she is a different person at the end of the book. It's like you said, she is in a position of power at the end of the book and she's more, she's better equipped to handle those things. You can't take one away from the other. You can't take the personal element of losing a mother away from this story, the same way you can't take the personal element of the generational effects of slavery that, that exists in this book. They go hand in hand, and each one adds to Bree's story and adds to her character development. It takes a really, really strong writer to be able to take those different themes and just combine them so flawlessly. I just, it's so well done. And so I think it is fair to say that if you're taking our recommendations, Go pick up Legendborn. You will not be disappointed.
Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. We had such a good time talking about this. You can follow me on Twitter at Saulmark. It's S-A-U-L-M-A-R-Q. I'm also on Twitter at Book and the Bone, one word. And you can follow me at Plucky Bookmark on Instagram if you'd like. Thank you again so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at Bookmarked. And you can also follow Bookstacks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time when we will have some recommendations for back-to-school reading. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.